from Luminary Media, this is LGBTQ&A. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and you're about to hear an interview with the singer and actress Mila Jam. She's got a brand new single out called Number One. And, you know, for trans people, there are a lot of assumptions and stereotypes just in general. But that is doubly true when you talk about dating and sex. One of the most common tropes in Hollywood, dating back to the earliest depictions of trans people on screen, was that scene we've all seen where it's a dude at a bar and he's flirting with a woman. Maybe they kiss, maybe they don't. But at some point he finds out she's trans and he immediately turns his head and throws up. So I tell you all of that because that teaches men who don't know a trans woman that to be grossed out is an appropriate response to have in a situation like that. Now, Mila shares some of her own stories today, and I think you'll really see how complex dating and just disclosing one's gender identity can be. So let's hear it. This is Mila Jam. You know, on the way over here, I was thinking about the dramatic increase in trans representation that we've seen across media. And yet, from my perspective, from the outside, we've not yet seen that filter into the mainstream music world. Progress has been much slower. You know, you're on the inside, though. I want your perspective. Have you seen a change in the music industry? I observing just like you are. Um, I can't say I've seen a significant change, but I think there are changes happening. And I think there are moments of inclusivity that are happening within the music industry, but I think they're mostly contingent on placement, the right placement with the right people, the right placement with the right celebrities or the right names, um, backing projects, you know, proximity. And that's a lot of what happens in this business in general. Um, You know, we obviously have artists like Kim Petras, who's out there. I've, I've been following her since before she blew up. Like I've been following her on YouTube, um, you know, and everyone knows that she's really good friends with Paris Hilton. <laughs> and, I, you know, and it is not any shade. It is definitely a tool to have people that you know in the business to hear your material, to get to know you, to want to be in your corner. Um, and so I do feel like there's a good uh, amount of that success that she's seeing has probably come from some of her relationship building that she's had because let's be honest, the business is about relationship building. And um, so little Nas X, you know, is someone that I think, I mean, who knew? Who could have expected? And I just wonder what the conversations were like before we saw little Nas X come out with Panini or before he kind of blew up. Looking at your music, a lot of it is overtly political. Have you ever received pushback from the industry about like, that's too much? I'm going to tell you this, the industry doesn't do push back so much as like, it's silence. If there's an issue with someone or someone's point of view or an artist that people don't want to resonate with, I think it's really, they just don't, they don't talk about it. They don't promote it. They don't post, you know, the articles. They don't want to do interviews. So in, in a sense, that's what, but I haven't experienced that directly. That makes sense. I was just also wondering because I think like for the moment in time that we're in right now, I don't know if a singer who is trans can make a song that's not political. Even a quote unquote simple love song for you is a massive statement. It's a huge statement. And I was just thinking this, I have a new single coming out and the song is so beautifully danceable and simple in so many aspects, but then it's so complex. The connotation will always be there, but that's going with 
people of color, that's being a black woman. You know, that connotation comes into every project that I would do as a black woman, as a trans woman. So it kind of all comes in. So by the time this interview comes out, that single will be out. What is it called? Number one. It's called number one. Mm -hmm. You described it as simple and complex. Can you elaborate on that a little bit for us? It's really about a song about wanting to be the lady, to be the number one. I think of it in two ways. You know, when you think of relationships, there's relationships that you have with people and the relationships you have with yourself. And I think it's to highlight being the lady for that partner, for that man that I would want to be with, choose me, but learning how to be that lady for myself because I've always worked to be that lady for me. You know, my whole life trajectory has been growing into being the woman that I am. And I want to become that number one lady that I've always dreamed of, that I've always imagined in my mind and and what she looks like and who she is and how she breathes and moves and and walks and talks. Um, And embodying that, that's like the spiritual, soulful connection of the transition for me. So um, it's those two different aspects. I love how you describe that because I think that for so many people, the trans experience seems so otherworldly that they can't relate to it. But you saying, talking about the kind of lady you want to be... um, I think all the time about the type of man I want to be. Mm-hmm. And so it just like you describing it sounded so relatable. Hopefully we're moving in a direction far from the, you know, semantics of being trans, you know, the transition, you know, how long are you there yet? Did you get this done? What, you know, it, the conversation is moving. It has to move or else we're going to be stuck in this place and we're never going to understand. So I think the conversation is moving in the direction of relatability. At the end of the day, it's really about the human feeling and emotion you get when you see yourself, when you're reflected through someone else's contact or through a mirror. I mean, that's what trans is really being is about learning to love and accept and express yourself the way you feel the most comfortable and then having secondarily having people support that or at least respect that, you know, if they don't understand it. I'm a beautiful lady and I I've always been a beautiful lady, but I just wanted to manifest that. And, you know, and to me, every day is a new day to be even better. But I think about the relatability of talking about, like, the literal words we use to talk about being trans, because marriage equality only passed in America when we reframed it about love. Because love is something that everybody can talk to and agree with and support. Mm -hmm. However... When you say gender identity, it kind of like makes people's like eyes like freak out. And so I'm looking for the language to communicate that. Yeah, no, I I hear you. I think some of that comes down to when people think about something, it's really about familiarity. Like the fear you have of something is about how little you know about it. You're scared to, you know, walk into an audition because you don't know what they're going to say or think about you. And when you find yourself in a place of learning how to be centered with, you know, knowing what it looks like or feels like to be around someone who's trans or to meet someone who's trans or to be attracted to someone who's trans. Like a lot of the issues start to fade away. Fortunately, we've had this breaking point. Thank you, Laverne. You know, thank you, Candice. Thank you, the girls from Pose. But now the conversation needs to be like, what does it look like to be neighbors with a trans woman, to be friends with a trans woman, to be friends with a friend who's dating a trans woman and then to dispel stereotypes People are listening. 
that feeling that people are listening, is that something new that you're seeing in like the last couple of years as representation has grown? Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Or is it always? No, it's new. It's new. And, you know, we can go back and do the history of the Mari Povich show and Jerry Springer and Ricky Lake and see all of the trans women that were on those shows just for, you know, to be gawked at. It was something that I even believed. I didn't believe a trans woman could be a fully realized human being, a person with standards, a person that was multifaceted, had goals and a job and a career. These are things that made it clear to me that's who I am and why I am who I am. Candace Kane is one of my big sisters and the probably the greatest reason for me to be able to see that light because I would see her shows here in New York. And when I met her and people introduced me to her, it was just like, I was like, I met Cindy Crawford. Like, but like she was beautiful, but she was so relatable and, and, and just a human being that I could feel, I could feel so many things about her on different levels. It wasn't one, a one trick pony kind of thing. When you say that you used to have this thought in your head that even as a trans woman that you thought that a trans woman couldn't be like a fully realized human, when did you realize that you used to think that? Oh my God. Um, I mean, in my teens, late teens, early 20s, I just feel like it's the same thing that any person in the you know LGBTQ spectrum has gone through, goes through any guy coming out of the closet or you know realizing that they're gay. There is always this assessment of yourself. Like, is it what I want it to be? Is it what I think it is? Is it something that will work for me? How do I operate? How do I be gay? How do I be trans? Even people who aren't. I think people who fall for trans women or trans people you know, in the dating world, they're going through those questions too. How can I date someone who's this? What does that mean about me? So we're all looking at ourselves yeah. and asking the questions. And I think ultimately you just have to do the work and get to a place where you can actually make some choices about what you feel and what you need. And with dating, I think a big difference between you and me is that every single person I date is going to be a member of the LGBTQ community. And yet for you, I assume that you're often dating men who are not queer, right? I date men that are identified mostly as straight. You know, you said that for you, it's possible that you could meet someone, you know, that is straight pre presenting and not in the community, you know, and maybe in the closet. That's possible. I know a lot of gay men who know that that's not for them, but you know, sometimes you fall for someone that you don't expect to fall for. But for the most part, my partners are not standing up in the community. You are not visibly trans. I feel like that adds a challenge that you have to, you have a greater number of conversations having to disclose. Uh, yeah, this is one of those things. I think the grass is greener for a lot of people. They think being passable, being, you know, seen as cis passing, it's just easier. And I will say that there are moments, you know, allotted to me. And I think there's a real big problem when you're a black trans woman and you can recognize your privilege when like most of the cis hetero white world can't even acknowledge their privilege and get upset when you call it out. But I'm here to tell you that I understand the privileges that I have. I understand that when I walk into certain spaces, people don't look at me as trans or they just see a, a, a black woman or a pretty black girl or whatever. People have those stereotypes that they think about that as well. But having to tell someone when they don't think or don't know makes them really question everything that they were taught. I just tell my girlfriends, I'm like, 
if just guys could know that they could potentially meet a trans woman and not know she's trans, I feel like maybe they would have a little bit more uh, empathy. You know, I met a guy on the subway a couple of weeks ago and, you know, he was literally asking me if he could like take me to dinner and he was being very sweet. And I already know from the beginning what has to happen. For my safety, personally, for my own peace of mind, and some people say it's not even about safety, whatever, I like to inform as soon as possible because I do believe that I have guys will get strung along and they will believe what they want. And then it just ends up in a bad situation. And I don't want to be held accountable for my part in it because it takes two people to tango. So as soon as I can, I let them know. Um, but I, the guy gave me his number and I texted him. It was low stakes for me. But I just literally said, by the way, I'm trans. And he was like, cool, wait, what? What are you talking? Are you serious? Wait, you didn't look trans. You don't sound trans. You... And then he was like, I've seen the show Pose and I watched, you know, the TV shows and I, you know, I like them. They're great. But then it's like, what does it mean? It's like even in the gay community, you don't look or act gay. You know, that's like maybe you meeting a guy and, you know, and he doesn't present, you know, your gay dart doesn't go off or whatever. You question that. Guys who don't expect it completely at all. It's in shock for them and they have to go away and they have to they have to think about it. And so I always think there's a, like a little time, I haven't given it a name, but there's a time period between meeting someone like a girl that you like, that you think is attractive, that you're, you know, it's hot. And you have to realize, you find out she's trans and then you go away and then the guy's like, oh my God, what does this mean? Oh my God, I'm okay, I'm this. And then they come back a week, two weeks, six months, a year later hey, you gave me your number. I was thinking maybe we could go out. And how do you usually respond when they like reach back out? I assume you do not want to be the guinea pig. They're like, hey, sure, try it once. This is my demise. I'm aware, I'm highly aware of my life experience. I can't negate my life experience. And this is the conversation I have with people who say, well, aren't you just a woman? Yes, I'm a woman. For the sake of information and being on the same page with people, it is important at times to say that I'm a trans woman because that's truth. And that is a part of my experience. I'm not ashamed of that, but you know, it's important to know. So knowing that I know my experience and that this comes with the territory, I mean, I think I've always just been in that place of like, I'm going to have to talk about it. I understand women in my community that are completely done with that, who don't want to participate in trying to educate people. And I, that's fine with them. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that I just wake up and I want to be like an activist. I do it so that I can just make space and be included in spaces. And, you know, and to say when people look in a history book, maybe that there was, you know, that I was, I existed. I, I understand that when guys do that and I'm okay with talking about it to a degree. The problem is, is if you are not retaining any information, if you're not paying attention, if you engage me in the conversation, I don't mind talking about it. You know, it's when the ignorance kind of takes over or takes precedence. And then it's just like, well, uh, well, I'm straight and I only date women. And then it's, it becomes a, like a, get it? I'm straight too. I'm a woman too. But look, I don't need to waste time persuading you. That's growth as a woman, any woman. That doesn't mean cis or, or, or trans. To take the time to get to know you can be in your space and own your power and to go, I don't need to coerce any man to liking me. That's another class. But you know what I mean? I've gotten to that place in my life where I'm like, great, thank you, take care. 
And then they usually, usually, usually come, you know, they, well, I'm interested in knowing more and I really, you know, you're beautiful and I really want to get to know you. And then it depends on my mood, (laughs) how much I want to entertain it. Well, I have to like wonder or maybe hope is the better word that like for the next trans girl that they're attracted to, it's less confronting. It'll be less of a confronting experience for that girl because they've maybe processed it with you. Yeah, it's 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 like, you know, the first always gets the bat into the stick because then, you know, you can't really enjoy the food fruit of your labor, you know, and how do you celebrate that? It's It's somewhat inevitable, I think. It also strikes me as a massive amount of emotional labor for you, for someone who is not significant in your life. Right. Well, I also think of this too, and like transitioning and transness to me, you know, it's more than just claiming who you are. I think there is a lot that just comes with the experience. I don't think it's something that's for the faint of heart, you know, but that is an individual choice. Everyone has to make that decision to want to be out about their transness and to pursue a life where they can be open about who they are. You have to be really, really tough. This is why I don't understand why our culture and our community doesn't really celebrate queer people because our lives are built out of adversity. And there's a quote that a guy wrote, and I can't remember it right now. Everyone was sharing it, and he was basically saying how as people in the LGBTQ plus community, we all we wore a mask so that we could do the work to know who we are so that when we got the chance to be who we are, we could live in that truth. And it's like becoming a beautiful butterfly or like a flower blooming. And how many people who don't have that adversity, you know, that may be cis or whatever, just kind of live their lives knowing that things are going to play out a certain way. You know, where's the risk in really learning how to love yourself or work you have to do to get to know how, you know, know yourself. Queer and trans people, we really do have something that's a gift, you know, that we can share about the human experience. Why can't our culture celebrate that? Yeah. For all these different challenges that come with dating, did anyone give you a heads up early on? Like, hey, this is what you can expect? Not really. I would say not really. Maybe. But I will say this. When you are in your mode of like where you need to go and what you want and you're at the beginning of your transition, all you can think about, all you can see is the golden, you know, halo. You're like, I'm on my way. I know I'm this, I am a woman and I'm ready to like be me. And the biggest misconception that I had, I think before transitioning was that men really respected women. And I don't believe that is true. And I think that's systemic and I think that's a conditioned reality because Men are told to treat women a certain way if they like them or love them, but respect as a whole for women and what women go through, the microaggressions that we deal with, a lot of men just don't understand it, so they don't see it. And it just kind of goes into transitioning for yourself as opposed to transitioning for people or men or dating or to be cute. You know, there's this thing that you just walk into it and you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. I just know that I need to like, this woman inside of me is she needs to live and you just step into it and it's really stepping out of faith. So to that, I feel like there is a difference from being in the world, from being a woman to being some like a woman that men is find desirable. It's like pretty privilege. You were saying earlier that you're pretty and I would agree with you. I think you're gorgeous. Did it take a while for you to realize that you like are able to access pretty privilege? 
This is called Alice in the Wonderland Falling Down the Rabbit Hole. Um, and I've been using this analogy a lot because I do feel like Alice sometimes where I'm like, it's like, eat me. And it's like, I grow really big. And then it's like, drink me. And I'm really small. Every single day is a different thing. Imagine, you know, when I do meet a guy and I am attracted to him and he's attracted to me. And let's say he's really attractive. He sees the beauty in me. And then it's like, in that world, in that moment, everything has come to fruition and I'm in my element, right? We could turn a corner if we're on a date and someone could say, that looks like a man. I'm just using an example. You know what I'm saying? And then that will completely shatter your whole point of view of yourself. But then like, you know, doing the work, it's like, I don't let that bother me anymore. I'm like, I know who I am. I know I'm a beautiful woman and I respect myself enough to not let that get to me. But it just kind of shifts. You originally started making parody videos as mm-hmm. Brittany Houston. Mm-hmm. I believe they're they're parody, right? They yes, weren't okay. parody videos. You're like they were sincere. You're an asshole. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Yeah, um, so you started out doing that. At what point did you realize that you weren't just you know performing femininity? That like there was like something deeper there. Pretty early on, but I think that came from my conditioning that me being male bodied, you know, prior to doing Brittany Houston stuff and adoring, it was. All of the stuff that I had to work through being thinking that transness, femness is a joke. The only way that people receive it is through comedy. Oh. And it has to be received for people to really appreciate you or to like you. You have to be funny. Oh, so the only outlet for your femininity at that time in your head was these parody videos. Yeah. Because if not, it's just not respected. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Because that's like... You know, that's also justifying it to family, justifying it to friends. You know, this is what they call the phase of like people saying like, oh, I like men and women, you know, like, and people sort of use being bisexual as like a a scapegoat or whatever to get a gateway to get to who they really are. So yeah, I mean, like I was- Because you're telling your family, laugh at my femininity, I'm giving you permission, as opposed to having them laughed at it without your permission. And like, it just could break your heart. Yeah, but it's also a way for them to accept me. Even this is something I also went through too when I was doing Rent. You know, that show changed my life. It is one of my favorite shows of all time. I played Angel, you know, and being Angel in the show Rent is like embodying such greatness, but being gawked at for being something that's not real. Or, you know, Angel was not a woman. You know, Angel was a drag queen or an impersonator or, you know, femme presenting. People would look at you in a certain way. And so what happened for me doing these videos, people were excited to see them. They were getting lots of views. I had an awakening and an epiphany that, but no one's ever going to respect me as a woman. And what does that look like? Because I'm more than just comedy relief. You mentioned your parents. I believe that your parents were supportive mm-hmm. of you. I bring that up because we hear so many traumatic stories. I think it's like completely vital that we also hear about supportive parents. It, It's vital that we hear about supportive Black parents. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. I love you. (laughs) The journey, very difficult. I usually say that time can heal all, and you have to do what's right for you. I came out to my mother, and she kind of did not understand, and she kind of just was like, you need you need to get some help. She didn't put me in no conversion therapy, but she was just like, you know, in the black community, there's not conversion therapy, there's church. Yeah. So you go to church. You go to see the pastor. You have a little little situation. You sit down and you talk to the pastor. What's going on? You got feelings. Okay. We did that whole thing. My father wasn't in my life. My parents have been divorced since I was little. 
So my mother has been my mother and my father for most of my life. And she's done the most amazing job at that. But it wasn't until when I said that I'm a woman, she kind of was like, why can't you just perform? And that's fine. I was like, no, but I go to sleep and I wake up and I feel like Mila and I am Mila. And this is all the things that it was. But my aunt Sheila was the one person in my life who was always in my corner telling, helping my family and my mother be like, just let the baby do what the baby needs to do to get to where they need to go and let them grow into who they're supposed to, to become. So that's the love that I come from. And I know everyone doesn't have that, but I'm very grateful that I was just raised out of so much love. The misunderstanding took years to get through and I made the choice to move away from home to take care of myself, to be to prove to myself that I can be who I want to be and live on my own. And then my family can't really say too, too much because I'm not in your household. So that eventually translates to, well, you've been living on your own for a long time. Wow, you're doing great. Oh, you're on a show. Oh, you're doing... And we all know that success makes parents forget, like, you know, the real issue. You know, oh, you're playing a drag queen. Wow, okay. Oh, how much are they paying you a week? Oh, okay. And it's not right, but that's what happens. And then for my mom, it just clicked. I remember one day we were out. This is years ago. She was still trying to get acclimated. But no one, people who were around us at restaurants or going out, they didn't see anything other than a woman. And so she would be like, they would say, hi, ladies, what can I get for you? And she would kind of be like, oh, well. And she'd catch herself because she'd be, I'd be like, mom, like, no one sees what you're seeing. You have to go with it. <laughs> and then she feels like she's the only one who doesn't get it. <laughs> for a while. But now oh, she's like, oh God, my mom is like ready to, it's like, she's ready to like lead the podcast. She's ready to talk about it. My dad called me one day after years of not seeing him and not speaking to him, many years. Just was like, haven't talked to you in a long time. How have you been? It's like, great. It's like, what are you up to? What's life? You know, how's it treating you? I was like, listen, before we get into all of these little conversations, dad, this is who I am. I have a lot of support from my friends and the people around me. And unless you can really just be with me and respect that and see that, I don't really have anything to say to you. That's a lot to say to someone, and that's not easy. But I never had that relationship with my father where I needed him or asked him for anything. And for some reason, I don't think I have those daddy issues that people were, oh, I wish my dad was in my life. I never really felt that. And I don't know if that's just because I accept it that, you know, being black and Southern and in the South, you know, most people's parents are single parents. You know, most people are raised by black single mothers. I think I just kind of accepted that. But I stood for myself and my dad was like, I love you and I just want to be a part of your life and your experience. So now my dad's like, on, he's super supportive. He's, you go girl. And very like, he came to, he's seen me, show, you know, he's come to my shows. He's come to like award shows where I've been honored. And he's brought family and my uncle and my aunt. And like, they really support me now, you know? And I think it's because they, I think loving your child is first. That's amazing. When you said that you moved away from Georgia, was that when you got to New York City? Uh-huh. I just wonder, like, just very, like, specifically, when you got here, how did you then find the trans community that, like, became your community? I came into the gay community. There was no... Tra- like, the trans community is not, like... It was not the same. Like, now it's, like, definitive. It's, like, there's a mark. There's, like, you know, a reason to have trans rallies and counseling and events. At this point, you know, this is like mid, this is like the 2000s, earlier 2000s. And it's like, it was still very binary. You're gay or straight. 
I didn't honestly understand what trans was like, what that meant, you know, being trans. I was like, I don't know where that fits. People still think that it's gay. So like, how did you make your first trans friend? Like, was that just like coincidence? I saw a lot of trans women performing on tour. That was like my introduction to trans women in person. Okay, so it's like, you know, Ricky Lake, Maury Povich, Sherry Springer, and then not realizing like that is something that you could really do. Like touring, going to clubs, seeing trans women performing and being like, wow, that's very fascinating. Something fascinating about that. I don't know what it is. I'm super intrigued. I don't want to be with them, but I want to be them. And meeting, I I mean, I think it really is like meeting Laverne. And Laverne and I I have been friends for many years. She was the, the closest. She was the first friend, you know, the main friend that I ever had that like I could really get to know who's trans. And she kind of gave me the tools she was like, girl, if you need to go somewhere, I know where you should go. This is the clinic. This is who you could talk to. These are the people, information that I might have needed. And she just kind of, it was it was her. She was the one who kind of gave me my wings. And I would say it's Candace and Laverne. And, and this they, was before Laverne Cox was Laverne Cox. Way before, way before, way before. There were days when Laverne would say we would go to a gay club just for fun Because when we would go out, we would primarily go to straight bars and straight clubs, you know. But when we were like, let's, I would be like, I'm singing tonight at the such and such gay club. Come to my show. She would be like, girl, these gays don't know me and they don't really care about me. (laughs) I was just like, oh, girl, it's okay. Well, like, lo and behold. (laughs) Oh, my God. Icon. Yeah. There's so many people that became friends before they were famous. And it's like this, like they rise up together. It's like so interesting. It is interesting. I always say that we are like Paris and Nicole. Uh, <laughs> and I used to joke, we should, I wish we could have done, I don't know if this ever happened, but I wish we could have done a show that was like The Simple Life when that was on TV and just going to, you know, remote places in the country to just, you know, go on a farm or, you know, work yeah. at a factory. As two black trans women. <laughs> I'm really struck, to be honest, that you've now named Candace Kane and Laverne Cox as two um, important people in your trajectory of your life. Mm-hmm. But they're also not just like icons you look up to. They're also personal friends. Mm-hmm. I think that's really unique. Yeah, it, very unique. It took me years to get super close to Candace because she was always someone that I put on a pedestal and I looked up to. And I was just kind of like, and like, I have so much respect for her now. It's, it's, you know, there's no fangirling. It's just total, like, she's like my heart, you know? And like, I don't talk to her every day. I see her, you know, every so often. And she knows this, but it's just like being able to be in proximity with someone that has affected you so greatly, you know, and I'm actually friends with, good friends with Janelle Monet. We have history as well. But just imagine being Janelle Monet and being, working with Prince, your mentor, and like having them kind of help you and give you tools. It's absolutely amazing, you know, and having Laverne as a friend is absolutely amazing because I can tell her so many specific things about what my life experience is. And she shares a lot of specific things with me. I love her because she's always been the same. She's not changed at all. Would she say the same about you? <laughs> I think she would. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she would say the same about me. Uh, I think it's like a little bit of like a, I'm her girl, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a little sister vibe. I think we're different enough, but we have, we come from the same, we're cut from the same cloth. She's from Alabama. I'm from Georgia. Our mothers are single parents. 
you know, she has a sibling, I have one sibling. And like, we were raised to not be who we are today. Well, you also both transitioned before the majority of the population knew what the word trans meant. Yeah. That is just like a fascinating and meaningful shift to the trans experience today for kids who come out. Yeah, it is. But, you know, we would go into it, we were going into it blindly because seeing the trans women coming before us, it was just kind of like, well, just good luck and hope for the best, you know? And now there's so much information for trans kids to kind of look up to certain people want to become and emulate some certain figures in the community. And I think that's, yeah, I think it's... And, and not to be like a grandpa, but now with the internet. Have you know the internet? Have you ever used the internet? Oh, what's that? I'm a big fan. I'll show you later. With the internet and social media, people can find you. Yeah. They can see these like Myla jams like on Instagram and yes. like, look, she's happy. It's a good example. It is. I always say um, that I want my work, you know, obviously I do like the Stop Killing Us uh, activism stuff, visual stuff, you know, but I just, I feel like there's nothing stronger than just living your life unapologetically. You know, uh, anyone who's unapologetic about their life and who they are and where they came from, I think that's the real activism. You know, you can speak at rallies and you can start organizations and stuff and that is groundwork that needs to be done. But to just be yourself every day is really, really hard. And that's where the begin. that's where it really starts. Yeah. And I just want to do that. And I want to be able to appreciate that. I agree. Thanks for doing this. You're very welcome. All right, that was Mila Jam. The new single that we talked about is called Number One. Until next week, come find me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at JeffMasters1. Those are both great places to connect and recommend guests. We're brought to you by Luminary Media, Neon Hum Media, and The Advocate. And we're produced by Jonathan Hirsch, John Asante, Kate Mishkin, and myself, with sound engineering by Mark Bush. We'll see you next week.